Jesus. He's a teacher. And when Luke writes his gospel, he's teaching us something. And the things he includes in his gospel, he includes for a reason. And Luke is teaching us something. And in this account, the shepherds came and visit Jesus. The wise men come and visit Jesus. But they're listed because they're unusual. Most people didn't go to visit Jesus. Most people had no idea what was going on in Bethlehem on that day. They laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. What Luke is wanting to show us right at the outset, right at the beginning, before it even started his ministry, Jesus was rejected. In fact, the story of his life is the story of rejection. He, he came to be rejected. Right at the outset, Luke shows us there was no room for him. And then he was rejected by King Herod, wasn't he? Because uh, Mary and Joseph had to go back to Nazareth by a different route because Herod is deeply threatened by this baby that he's heard of because of the, the wise men who have stopped off and told him all about this Messiah who has been born. And Herod is out to get them and massacres all the firstborn born around the time of Jesus, trying to eradicate him. He has to flee as a refugee. Throughout his ministry, uh, doors were shut to him. His family didn't understand who he was or what he was doing. His hometown of Nazareth rejected his ministry. They couldn't cope or understand how this person could possibly be anybody of any significance. Isaiah says of the suffering servant, he was despised and rejected. And the moment of his greatest victory for you and I upon the cross his penultimate words are, my God, why have you rejected me? Why have you forsaken me? All his life, Jesus experiences rejection. Rejection from the people that he needed and loved the most. Even in his hour of deepest need, his disciples reject his need and fall asleep instead of watching with him. Ultimately, the political system rejected him. The religious system of his, his day uh, rejected him. He came to be rejected. That's a part of who he was. He came as the suffering servant, rejected by all. Why? Why was he rejected? Probably many reasons, but let's look at three. Three reasons why Jesus was rejected. One, he was rejected because he did not meet the world's standard for a Messiah. If you're going to be a Messiah, you're born in a palace. You're born in a, in a, in a fine house. You have a, a, a pedigree that goes back, if hopefully, generations. If you're going to be somebody important and special, uh, you evidently come from the kind of family uh, that produces leadership material. Um, Jesus is disqualified from the outset. He can't even easily see his lineage of birth. No one's going to believe him if he told you the lineage of his birth. As far as everyone else is concerned, he's born out of wedlock to a virgin who somehow his, uh, her husband is staying with him, but they don't understand that. 
Um, he has no connections. He's socially marginalized. This is not the person that can be anybody of any account. Isaiah, the prophet, says he had no beauty or majesty. He didn't look good. He wasn't the kind of celebrity status kind of person. And so he was rejected because then as now, it's all about what you look like on the outside. I mean, what is a celebrity? A celebrity is somebody who on the outside looks cool, looks fantastic, looks great, has got everything going for them, but on the inside is usually a complete wreck. Often struggling uh, with drugs, with alcohol, with all kinds of addictive behaviors, often depressed and sadly their lives often end in complete turmoil. You may have a strong character, a wonderful spirit, but if you look a bit dowdy and unimpressive on the outside, no one's going to give you a TV series. That's why I'm still pastoring a church. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus had none of those things. And what did he do? Jesus turns all of those things upside down. All the things that the world looks at on the outside. He says, no, none of those things. None of those things is what makes you great. None of those things is going to work in Jesus' kingdom. He comes along and completely destroys it. Your looks, your status, your beauty, your connections, your position. He says what matters most is what's inside your heart and the intention that God has in creating your life. And that is all that matters. And my friends, what that means, first of all, is that at Christmas time, Christmas means that snobbery has no place in the Christian faith. No matter who, who your parents are, where you were born, where you come from, uh, your upbringing, what you look like on the outside has nothing to do with the Christian faith. That, it matters not a jot. Jesus came. He was rejected because people wanted to see somebody who looked great on the outside, but Jesus rejected that and said, no, that's not what it's about. Christmas is all about the heart. It's a rejection of all that's on the outside, all that looks cool, that looks great by by our standards today. Christians have to learn to see people on the inside. We have to learn to have x-ray vision. Uh, You've probably heard this before, but I love the the story that illustrates this so well. It's the story um, of uh, Lieutenant John Blanchard, uh, who was in the U.S. Navy in the Second World War. And um, there was a book swap program where people would send books to troops uh, on the front line um, and uh, they would be books that that they could read and then return to their owners if they wanted to or books they could just keep. And um, John Blanchard received a book um, uh, of poetry um, and he was impressed by the poems. But more than that, he loved what the owner had written in the notes along the side, beautiful um, uh, penciled notes about the poems. It revealed a beautiful and youthful spirit. He began corresponding with this woman whose address was written in the front of the book. Her name was Hollis Maynell. And it turned in the last years of the war into a deep friendship. He asked for a picture, but she never sent one. Finally, the war was over and he went to New York and Hollis agreed to meet him at Grand Central Station. They agreed a time and a place they'd meet, and in her final letter to him before the meeting, she wrote saying she'd meet him at a certain spot at a certain time and would be wearing a large red rose in her lapel, and he would know her by that. He gets off the train, uh, John Blanchard, at Grand Central Station, and he walks towards the spot where uh, he's been told to go, and he sees there two women talking. One in her 20s, beautiful and well-dressed. 
But as she walks away, he noticed the other woman, very much older, less attractive, rather overweight, in ill-matching clothes and wearing a red rose. He writes, I was split. I felt choked up by the bitterness of my disappointment. But so deep was my longing for the woman whose spirit had companioned me and upheld me during my time at war that I thought, well, this won't be love and romance, but it could be something wonderfully precious, maybe a friendship for which I will be eternally grateful. So he walked up to her, summoned up all his courage and said, hello, my name is Lieutenant John Blanchard. You must be Hollis. I'm so glad to meet you. May I take you to dinner? She smiled and said, Son, I have absolutely no idea who you are or what this is about, but the young lady who was just standing here with me asked me to wear this red rose, and only if you were to ask me for dinner was I to tell you that she's waiting for you in that restaurant over there. Jesus Christ rejects outward appearance. He says, no, 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 that, that's not what it's for. Now, you may have those things. That's, that's a wonderful gift to have. But the true message of Christmas is that God looks on the inside. And that means that everyone gets the same chance because everyone needs healing on the inside. The second reason Jesus was rejected was this. Simeon uh, who was waiting in the temple when Jesus was taken uh, on the day of his circumcision, when his family made the presented gifts that they were required to do after the birth of a child as a token, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. They went to the temple and Simeon, who was there by now a very old man, takes Jesus in his arms and he prophesies over him. And he says, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed because of this baby. And Jesus was rejected because that's exactly what he did. He revealed the thoughts of the heart. Just a relationship with him reveals what's inside me because he calls me into the light. And Jesus tells me what I'm really like. And at first that hurts because the truth is I'm not nice. There's nothing to commend me. Nothing that's great. I work so hard to present this on the outside to you. You don't see on the inside. None of us can easily see what's on the inside of another, but in a relationship with Jesus, the thoughts of our hearts are laid bare, and I see who I really am. And in compared to the holiness and the light that it's, it's in him, I, I, I'm just wretched. That's why John Newton wrote that wonderful hymn, Amazing Grace, that saved a wretch like me. I'm wretched, not, not, not because I'm wretched and miserable. I've said this before. John, um, John Newton isn't, isn't, isn't being down on himself by saying I'm a wretch. He's benchmarking. He's being benchmarked against Jesus Christ. I'm a wretch. I look at my own life in comparison. But you see, Jesus doesn't let us off the hook. There's no coming to Jesus without a recognition of who I really am and what's really on the inside. And then, as now, people don't like that. They didn't like being told who they really are. Herod didn't like uh, what he found in his heart. And he, he had a murderous spirit and, and uh, he rejected Christ. But today people still do. 
I don't need anybody telling me how to live my life. I don't need anybody to tell me that I'm, I'm, I'm wretched and miserable. You know, how dare you? How dare you say that to me? I'm fine. My life's okay. I'm doing my best. We don't like it. And he's rejected. Because Jesus comes to tell us the truth. And then he comes to heal and to forgive. But people reject him. He's rejected them because the thoughts of the heart are revealed when Jesus is close. Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor through social classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart. To be a Christian and enter the true spirit of Christmas is to accept that my life isn't okay, that it's okay not to be okay, and I need his help. But Jesus finally um, came and was rejected for a third reason. Jesus came knowing he would be rejected. Now stay with me here. Jesus was rejected because of the substitutionary nature of the work he had come to do. the substitutionary nature of the work he had come to do. Jesus didn't just come to be rejected as an example. He came as our savior. 33 years later on the cross, some of Jesus' final words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The same evil and sin that resulted in God's rejection of us was placed on Jesus. And today we still understand the power of this. Um, it doesn't always get a good press in Christian circles today, but I want to uh, tell you why the ministry of substitution is so important. You see, um, uh, today, um, we still understand what it means for someone to advocate for someone else, for somebody to speak up for me because I'm not competent or able to speak up for myself and get the same level of hearing from someone else. And we love it when someone does that for me. Would you do it for me? Would you go for me and be what I can't be in that situation? And we recognize the power of someone speaking for me on my behalf or even more, the person who lays down their life so that I can live. And there are thousands of stories out there and every one of them touches our hearts. I was sharing, I think, a couple of weeks before Christmas that the, the wonderful stories that we hear, when they touch our hearts, it's because they're part of the story, God's story. You know, somebody once said all of history is his story. Um, and and these, these, when we hear of uh, modern day stories of people giving up their lives for others, um, w something warms us that, that somebody would do that. That's just wonderful. But it, it only does that because it, it takes us back to the story of someone who gave their lives. I was um, uh, reading uh, just a, a year ago um, that book somebody gave me at Christmas last year. It was called Last Man Down. And it was about the, um, the tragedy of the World Trade Center buildings and that atrocious day when the towers were bombed and then uh, were flown into by airplanes and then destroyed. Um, and George W. Bush said uh, at a Remembrance Day that was held just after that time for the victims of it, he said this, we have seen our national character 
in eloquent acts of sacrifice. He, he cited two people inside the World Trade Center, one man who could have saved himself, but stayed until the end at the side of his quadriplegic friend who had no hope of getting out. And his friend said to him, I won't leave you. And he was on the phone out to someone outside who recorded his message. He says, I'm not leaving my friend. And then George Bush went on to say, uh, uh, talked about um, a beloved priest who had been called to help those um, who were uh, too injured to be able to be moved. They were either trapped or couldn't get them up. And a priest was called, um, and George Bush doesn't give his name, but says that he actually died as masonry fell on him, giving the last rites to a firefighter who himself had been critically injured. In fact, the firefighter survived. But the priest was willing to go and pray and risked his own life and lost his own life. And as I hear your stillness now, as I read that story, I know that like me, it touches your heart because you think, wow, is there somebody who would do that for me? Is there anyone that would do that for me, that would love me enough to do that for me? And the answer is yes, there is. Surely, says the prophet Isaiah, he took our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was the substitute. He was crushed for our wrongdoing. The punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Friends, don't you see... He was rejected so that you could be accepted. He was cast out so that you could be welcomed in. Simeon said he's a sign that will be spoken against, and because he was spoken against, you can be spoken for. Because there was no room for him in earth, there is room for you in heaven. Because he descended into the depths of death, you can be raised to new life in heaven. Because he took rejection for all time and nailed it to the cross, God accepts you just as you are, no matter what you are like. Jesus came as the great substitute. In suffering rejection, he was taking upon himself your rejection. All the rejection for all time. He took it upon himself so that you and I can stand today and you can command the stronghold of rejection in your life to be broken and demolished on the basis of his finished work upon the cross. Because he was rejected. I'm in. And so are you. My friends, that's the message of Christmas. No room for him so that there's room for you and for me, and for all who would come. To enter into the spirit of Christmas is to look beyond the superficial. To enter into the spirit of Christmas is to admit that we need help and to call on him. To enter the true spirit of Christmas is to allow Jesus to break the strongholds of rejection wherever they are in our lives. And because he has borne the consequences and the sorrow of all rejection, I can stand and declare by faith that the only person in the universe who ultimately matters has made room for me.
Well, I think a hallelujah is appropriate, don't you? Hallelujah. Father, thank you for the message of, of Christmas. Thank you that while we, we love that, that kind of story laid in the manger because there was no room, but that actually that's such a telling thing. It's an indication, a foretaste for us that Jesus would endure for us so that we might not have to, so that we could be free from the consequences of rejection, of being cast out, of not being good enough, smart enough, not being in the in crowd enough, uh, not, not matching up to what other people wanted me to be. Uh, Lord, you free us from all of that and say, I'm going to make a way for you. There was no room for me, but I'm going to make room for you because I, I laid down my life so that you might have what I never had. Father, I thank you that in Jesus we have that friend who gave up his life and in every other way too, bore for us so that we might be released from the burdens of them. Father, we thank you for Jesus. May we enter into the true spirit, the spirit of welcome. The king of love has beckoned me and we're in. Thank you, Father. Amen.